It is Friday, the 27th of October. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are gracious to all who come to you. Strengthen and trust all who fear to approach you in the sacrament of penance. You are faithful in your forgiveness. Make gracious all who represent you in the presence of sin and suffering. You are merciful to all who turn to you for help. Enlighten in wisdom all who have the opportunity to encourage others in prayer. You forgive every human failing. Preserve us from the temptation to trap others in their sins by gossip. O God, you have made us in your image. As you forgive, may we forgive. As you restore, may we restore. As you love, may we love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Friday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has the video feed up and running so you can look and see what Annie and I look like by the time a Friday rolls around. Who's ready for a weekend? I'm ready for a weekend. We're getting into the uh, autumn triduum over the next few days, so I'm excited about that. Up this hour, we're going to talk to Dr. Matthew Bunsen live from the Synod on Synodality. He's been covering it for EWTN along with Catherine Hadro, and uh, there's been some things happening that probably require a little explanation, and Dr. Matthew Bunsen is the guy to help us with some of that. Rita Heikenfeld will have a recipe for Italian wedding soup for you in case you're wanting something warm and comforting this weekend in a crock pot. Ken Craycraft will discuss mental illness, solidarity, and charity as we wind down Mental Health Awareness Month, this month of October. And we'll look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. So please do stay with us if you can. Two minutes past, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Today is a day of prayer, fasting, and penance called for by Pope Francis. The Holy Father has asked all the faithful to pray for peace today in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, and all over the world. He'll be leading a prayer vigil this evening in St. Peter's Square at 6 p.m. local time and has invited all the particular churches to take part by organizing similar initiatives involving the people of God. This is not the first day of prayer and fasting that the Holy Father has called. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports this is a persistent theme in his pontificate. Throughout the 10 years of his pontificate, Pope Francis has repeatedly called on believers and non-believers alike to dedicate days of prayer and fasting for the precious gift of peace. Already in 2013, in the first year of his pontificate, Pope Francis called for a day of prayer and fasting for peace in Syria, in the Middle East, and throughout the world. Five years later, in 2018, Pope Francis invited everyone to find appropriate ways to say no to violence. During a day of prayer and fasting for South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Later, following a massive explosion in Beirut in 2020, Pope Francis appealed for a similar day dedicated to solidarity with Lebanon. And in 2020, at the height of the crisis in Afghanistan, the Holy Father called on everyone to intensify their prayer and practice penance. 
Finally, last year in 2022, Pope Francis prayed that Mary, the Queen of Peace, might preserve the world from the madness of war, as he appealed for prayer and fasting for peace in Ukraine. Sadly, one day after his appeal, Russia would launch its full-scale invasion of the country, a war that continues to this day. Since that time, the Pope has launched countless heart-rending appeals for Ukraine and its people. Pope Francis once again calls for Catholics and all women and men of goodwill to renew their prayer and fasting, pleading yet again for mercy, conversion, and reconciliation. I'm Christopher Wells. The search for a mass killer on the loose in Maine continued through the night. Authorities continue to search for 40-year-old Robert Card, who they believe was the gunman, who killed 18 people and wounded more than a dozen others in two mass shootings in the town of Lewiston Wednesday night, first at a bowling alley, then at a bar. Residents in the Lewiston area are being urged to stay indoors. Card is a sergeant at a U.S. Army Reserve base who police say was recently committed to a mental health facility and is considered armed and dangerous. The U.S. has hit two facilities in eastern Syria used by Iran in what it says are self-defense strikes. Mark Mayfield reports. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said in a statement that at President Biden's direction, the strikes were carried out as a response to a series of attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-backed militia groups. The statement went on to say that the U.S. does not seek conflict and does not intend to engage further. The strikes were carried out at facilities used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. I'm Mark Mayfield. U.S. GDP is rising faster than expected this quarter. The GDP, or gross domestic product, is a measure of all goods and services produced in the economy. According to figures released yesterday, it rose 4.9 percent from July through September, up from only an unrevised 2.1 percent pace. That's according to the Commerce Department. Economists attribute the sharp uptick to higher consumer spending, higher inventories, exports, residential investment, and government spending. And the Rangers and Diamondbacks are set to go head-to-head for a World Series title. Texas will host Arizona tonight for Game 1 of the Fall Classic at Globe Life Field. The ceremonial first pitch will be thrown out by former President George W. Bush. So here we go. It all begins. Today is Friday, October the 27th. We are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's six past. Dr. Matthew Bunsen is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News, joining us from Rome, where he has been part of EWTN's coverage of the Synod on Synodality. Good morning, Dr. Bunsen. Good morning. Great to be with you. I guess it's good afternoon for you, but nonetheless, (laughs) happy to have you along with us. Thank you for for taking the time to to talk about this. So the Synod participants this week, as they uh, wrap up the assembly, the first of two assemblies in the Synod on Synodality, the next one going to take place a year from now, uh, they just put out this open letter to the people of God. What did they have to say in that? Well, think of the uh, open letter as uh, something that's very traditional uh, for a lot of synods. Uh, we had one, for example, on coming out of the Synod on Youth in 2018. Uh, it is an expression, or supposed to be an expression, uh, from the participants uh, to the wider world, as they say, to the people of God. 
And in that sense, uh, this is standard. Uh, this is obviously a very different synod, so it's a somewhat different letter in the sense that it's, uh, I think, a snapshot of many of the discussions that have taken place over those last months. Uh, I was struck in particular by its emphasis on these synodal themes of listening, uh, of uh, discernment, and other things. But it also gives us a snapshot, I think, a little tip to what we can expect from the final report, uh, which is supposed to be approved and and distributed tomorrow, and that is points of convergence, uh, points of conversation, and then some proposals going forward for the next year. What do you think those are? I mean, what what indicators do you see in this letter specifically, Dr. Bunsen? Well, I think one of the things that's uh, become clear uh, in these last two weeks, and especially, is that yes, there has been discussion without question uh, on, the, I hate to use the term, but the hot button issues. And sure. Everyone, especially at the press briefings, uh, asks about on a daily basis at the point that it becomes, I think, almost repetitive. Uh, those include, of course, the, the question of the ordination of women, uh, the creation of a perhaps uh, a female diaconate, uh, pastoral care for so-called LGBTQ uh, persons. Those certainly have been discussed. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but one of the big issues that has emerged in this last week is the question of structures and what it all looks like in what Pope Francis envisions as a synodal church. And I suspect that's also one of the major sticking points uh, for discussion uh, as they try to finalize this document, which is, let's remember, it's a summary document uh, that's supposed to pull all the discussions together and is an interim document. So at this point, unless something major happens, uh, this is a document that is simply a reflection of what was discussed, and its action items have to be seen in that light, too. Yeah, they write, this is not about ideology, but about an experience rooted in the apostolic tradition. I was glad to hear that, and then, or read that. And then, (laughs) um, because there's been a lot of discussion about that, whether or not we are going to move away from apostolic tradition, is that even possible in the Church? No, and I think that's a point that uh, a number of bishops have made. Uh, we know uh, from what various participants have uh, quietly said or publicly said, as well as what's been said at the, the press briefings, uh, there are certain things that cannot change. Uh, I think of Cardinal Prevost, uh, who's the newly appointed, he's an American, newly appointed uh, head or prefect for the Dicastery for Bishops, which is a pretty significant post in the Vatican. Uh, he was talking about the fact, when, when asked about, for example, the ordination of women, he said there are certain things in absolute tradition that you cannot change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's certainly been made clear here. Nevertheless, there are a lot of uh, discussions and proposals apparently floating around for inverting the pyramid. Uh, there were a couple of theologians, including Ormond Rush and uh, the obscure Italian theologian with the name of Dario Vitale, who nevertheless uh, talks about this inversion of the pyramid and examining uh, structures of authority in the life of the Church, and I think that has raised a few eyebrows, and, and yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why there is some tension about it. Well, I before we let you go, because I know you only have a, a few minutes before you've got to go uh, yeah. do the coverage for EWTN, um, can you talk about the Pope's intervention this week? Because he said a few interesting things about what he sees— how he sees the church, how he sees the people of God. 
Yeah, I, I think this is uh, certainly uh, a classic Francis moment. Uh, we always have to uh, preface anything he says along those lines that this is an extemporaneous uh, declaration from the Holy Father. So we have to take that for what that is, that uh, this is a Holy Father speaking from the heart. So he he had a lot to say about what he refers to as the holy people of God, and uh, he is very much a student of the Second Vatican Council, and I think that's why we have had a lot of discussion this week about Lumen Gentium. Mm. Having said that, uh, he also used uh, his intervention as a bit of a broadside, uh, again, a against clericalism. That is, for him, uh, I said it yesterday on air, this is a bit of a bete noir, uh, that this is very important for him. He opened the Synod uh, by handing out uh, two things, a, a, a book that he had written years ago, and attached to it was a letter that he sent to the priests of Rome uh, deriding clericalism. He is, in some ways, uh, bringing the loop closed uh, this week, uh, by referencing, again, his concerns about clericalism. And I suspect that that's going to be a fairly prominent uh, feature also in the synthesis report. He said specifically that it is a scandal when you go to tailor shops uh, here in Rome, and those of us who spend time here are very familiar with many of them, including the one that actually creates the clothes for the Pope, especially on the night of his election, uh, that uh, it is a scandal to see young priests in lace and other things. So this is... Uh, Something that Francis keeps coming back to, and I, I doubt this will be the last time he uh, talks about clericalism. Well, it's a scandal to see priests that have been lay have been uh, removed from ministry go back to ministry after being abusive uh, by a number of accounts. But we don't have time to get into that one yet. Uh, just quickly, um, can you talk about this line from him? One of the characteristics of this faithful people is its infallibility. Yes, it is infallible in credendo, infallible in believing. What did he mean by that? Yeah. Uh, that uh, is one of those obscure, difficult phrases to parse simply because um, uh, it, it's Francis speaking off the cuff, so I, I will leave it to the Holy Father to decide what exactly he meant by that. <laughs> okay, fair enough, Dr. Bunsen. We've got EWTN News linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Encourage people to uh, watch EWTN's coverage of the Synod on Synodality. How much longer are you in Rome, Dr. Bunsen? Uh, I'll be here till early next week. Uh, I'm nice. here toward the end. It may not be the bitter end, but I'm here to the end. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Privilege to be with you. God bless. Likewise. All right. It's a quarter past. We're back with headlines right after this. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. 
it really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I am a very happy, grateful revert to the faith. About 12 years ago, I was surfing the channels and I found EWTN. I didn't even know it existed and I heard mother and remembered that years ago, I had told a Catholic nun at a church in Boston that I was visiting that I missed the faith and she said, you will come back. And when I was listening to Mother Angelica, I remembered that. 17 past, here's Anna with headlines. Today is a day of prayer, fasting, and penance called for by Pope Francis. The Holy Father this week spoke at the Synod on Synodality, telling participants how he sees the church. And the U.S. has hit two facilities in eastern Syria used by Iran in what it says are self-defense strikes. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, there's just like a million things to unpack from the last two weeks, spending, you know, last week in Alabama at the Catholic Radio Conference, Mm -hmm. and this past week, taping a bunch of episodes for The Journey Home, and I've been thinking a lot about the whole question of Eucharistic revival and all that stuff. I put a, uh, a video that we just put out with a guy who converted for his wife and then later had his own sort of personal Eucharistic revival. It's a great kind of little window into how that can happen for someone who maybe is going to Mass but doesn't get it and then can sort of get it. But uh, something one of our guests said this week really struck me, and mm. I can't wait to share his episode in in, um, in the fall. Or I'm sorry, not in the fall. And during Lent is when it will actually come out. But he talked about how, like, propositions don't end in other propositions. Propositions end in reality. We don't come up with these ideas and these doctrines uh, because they're, like, these abstract things. We come at them because they're supposed to explain something that's real, right? We don't worship the doctrine of transubstantiation, <laughs> for example, right, right? right? That doctrine takes us towards what we do worship, which is Jesus Christ, our mm-hmm. Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. And he said, so, this really stuck with me. He said that there's a lot of people out there who think that the difference between Catholics and Protestants, or one of the differences, is that Protestants believe or Catholics believe in the doctrine of of transubstantiation in the Eucharist, where Protestants don't believe in that. And he's like, that's not actually the difference. The difference is Catholics have the Eucharist and Protestants don't, yeah. right? Yeah. And so the belief is just one way we sort of articulate the, the way that we think about that reality, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the reality itself is Christ. Well, so, and that's so important to make that distinction because— what do we say to the like children, for instance? You know, like do they you you can't or those who don't understand 
exactly the doctrine of transubstantiation. I mean, honestly, who of us does? That's true. Truly understand? I'm not going to pretend to here on the radio. I mean, we sure. can we can say like, okay, this is what it is, and you know, just kind of like throw it out there and say, all right, this is what the church says it is, but do we really understand it? And and that's an important thing because you don't have to have the understanding you don't in order to have the Eucharist. I think this is so beautifully put out in Eastern Catholic spirituality they because they well, they call it a mystery and when babies are baptized, they receive their first holy communion when right then our, and there. When one of our people stands up at the Easter vigil and uh, David Curry uh, reminded me of this once. Uh, he said, uh, you don't stand up and say, I understand all that the church teaches to be revealed by God. He says, you don't have to say that, no. thankfully, right? You just say, I believe. I believe. I believe that this is... I trust the church. This is, I this trust is where the I'm Lord. supposed to be. Yeah. And we'll figure it out as we go. But I believe. As much as we can figure it out. Right. And, and the as rest much is, as you can believe. The rest of it is trust. Indeed. 21 past. Are you using the side the box to find new customers? You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Everyone is familiar with the priestly blessing. We hear it on January 1st each year as the first reading for the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In part, it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. This is, in fact, the oldest portion of the Bible known to us today. It was found some 30 years ago engraved on two amulets, pieces of jewelry, found in Jerusalem. They have been dated to sometimes six centuries before the birth of our Lord. It seems that people 2,500 years ago or more found comfort in those words just as we do today. We may not have them on precious metal, but we can imitate them. So let's pray that just as God shines and looks kindly on us, let us do the same for others. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And we always like to take a look at events and uh, foods mentioned in the Bible and take a look at how they're all connected and maybe uh, use those as a way to meal plan liturgically according to the season. Rita, good morning. Morning, and we've got a couple good ones today. Yeah, and they kind of dial into, at least to start, uh, the idea that October is dedicated to the rosary. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And, you know, um, one of the most popular mysteries is, is the luminous mysteries, Matt. 
And the reason is, I think, and they focus on the life of Jesus and the work he did, really from the time he was baptized to to offering the first Eucharist. And um, one of the most recognizable events is when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Most of us remember that um, as far as reading about it and learning about it. It was really the very first miracle Jesus performed. And I was wondering if you could give your take on it as far as what happened there. Well, there's just so much to unpack uh, because, you know, not only is this Jesus' first miracle, you know, it kind of kicks off uh, a lot of other miracles down the road, but it's just Mm -hmm. such a cool window into what Catholics believe about the role of Mary in the life of the Church, right? Because she goes and makes petition on behalf of people, right? But then she turns around to the people and says, do whatever he tells you. So there's just such a great way to understand uh, where Mary fits into everything uh, in regard to this. But, um, you know, of course, there are these water jars, uh, 20 to 30 gallons. Uh, Jesus says, fill those up with water. The servants do that. And then Jesus asks them to dip some out and take it to the master ceremonies. And, uh, of course, the servants follow those instructions, and can you imagine having been that master of ceremonies, Rita? I don't know how you would have reacted, but I can imagine it was a strange scene. Oh, my gosh. Uh, first of all, I have to think that um, Mary, you know, she was a mom, and she told Jesus, you need to do something, even though he didn't think the timing was right yet. He, he did, as his mom said. Yeah, and when the servants um, filled those uh, jugs, those took those water jars over, to the master of ceremonies and told him to taste it. I, they were probably wondering what the heck's going on. He tasted it, um, and he was just amazed that water had turned into wine, but not just any wine. It was a real high-quality wine, Matt. Um, and then you think of this analogy, you know, at, at every other celebration, and, and this is true today even, um, people might serve the best wine first, and then later when the guests were, oh, what I would say, rather tipsy and maybe couldn't tell the difference, um, the lesser uh, wine would be brought out. But at Cana, the best wine was saved for last. And I think the lesson here, and I want your take on this too, is we need to take our hopes and and plans to Jesus, but accept his answer. Be patient, because as we always say, his timing is perfect timing. It may not be ours, but it's perfect. What do you think? I, I like it, and I think that Jesus is always kind of building us towards something better and greater, right? Mm-hmm. Even if we can't see... Uh, right, even if it all looks like water around us, he's got some. He's always got something that we don't know about uh, that is uh, waiting for us down the line. But since we're talking about weddings, uh, and since we are entering into fall more deeply, and this is soup season, you've got an Italian wedding soup uh, that's a great recipe and is actually not that complicated. Oh no, it's I call it wedding soup. It's not a true Italian wedding soup. It's sort of a riff on the classic because it's really really simple. Um, and I'll have this on my site, along with your minestrone, which is amazing, I have to say. Um, but with the um, easy Italian wedding soup, you just um, take some escarole or a romaine or spinach and cut it up and then set it aside. And then you make real simple teeny tiny meatballs out of ground chuck, some parmesan, breadcrumbs, milk, and an egg, and uh, some salt and pepper. And basically you uh, make those marble-sized meatballs and cook them in some chicken broth. And then you add noodles or rice and cook it all together. And to serve it, um, you take two hard-boiled eggs and just divide it among the bowls, slice those eggs thin, ladle the soup on top, and then give it a shower of Parmesan. Really simple and delicious. 
and as I said, really sort of nice for fall weather. And you need to tell us about your minestrone because it is so versatile, and I have made it, oh gosh, a couple times. But you, of course, took a, a classic recipe and did a matte thing with it. Well, the way that I've done it uh, in the past, and I haven't made it yet this year, uh, but um, it's it's a lot of minestrone type ingredients uh, mm-hmm. but because it's kind of like the autumn minestrone. Uh, I, I've used buttercup squash before. I've, u- also, I've used butternut squash. I've even used delicata squash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people may not realize that most of the gourds that you buy for decoration are also edible. <laughs> so you could uh, chop up a fair amount of those and uh, and use this. But the other um, the aspect of this that I, I throw in kale, and I kind of eyeball it so these you know ingredients can go to taste. But it's also got onions, garlic, uh, some kind of winter squash, uh, celery. Mm-hmm. Carrots, cubed potatoes, oregano is a secret ingredient here. It's not even that much of a secret, but it really kind of pushes everything together. And then, you know, water, vegetable broth, uh, chopping the kale, cannellini beans, which are a personal favorite of mine. And, yeah, I mean, you just saute the onions and garlic, and then you kind of dump it all in. I mean, it's not super complicated, which is the great thing about soup this time of year. Yeah, and it's so versatile, too. And I love um, the oregano because... That's a, a secret ingredient when you say secret. It really does lend a lot of flavor to soups. And a lot of times, um, being Lebanese, we didn't use so much oregano growing up um, like other uh, Middle Eastern or Mediterranean uh, cooks, but we used a lot of marjoram, which is a cousin to oregano, but sort of more floral. So both of these are wonderful recipes. Um, and take us back to Cana this time of year. Well, and the uh, other trick with both of our soups that we mentioned today is you make a big pot, you save some, and the leftovers are actually even better than the mm-hmm. first run because things have had a time to well, time to get together in there. So uh, we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Head on over, get Rita's recipes, maybe share some of your own favorite soup recipes. Thanks so much, Rita. Have a wonderful day. Okay, Matt, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, make that good soup. Everyone is going to get to know each other in the pot. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Today is the day of prayer, fasting, and penance that Pope Francis has called on the faithful to mark. The Holy Father has asked all the faithful to pray for peace today in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, and all over the world. He himself will be leading a prayer vigil this evening in St. Peter's Square, at 6 p.m. Rome time, and invited all particular churches to take part by organizing similar initiatives involving the people of God. Meanwhile, Israel is preparing for a ground invasion of Gaza. Mark Mayfield has a story. That's what Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said in a televised speech Wednesday. He said he wouldn't elaborate on when or how many. About 360,000 Israeli reservists are at the border with Gaza awaiting orders. The Gaza Health Ministry says that so far over 6,000 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli airstrikes. The attacks began earlier this month after Hamas invaded Israel and killed 1,400 people. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Holy See's representative to the United Nations has reiterated the call for a two-state solution as the path to peace in the Holy Land. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In a statement he addressed to the Security Council, the Vatican Permanent Observer to the UN reiterated that war is always a defeat for humanity. Archbishop Katra focused his intervention on three points. First, he conveyed the Holy See's unequivocal condemnation of Hamas terrorist attack on October the 7th 
As Pope Francis clearly stated, terrorism and extremism fuel hatred, violence and revenge and only cause mutual suffering, he said. Archbishop Kacha therefore once again relaunched the urgent call for the immediate release of all the Israeli hostages held by Hamas. The second point highlighted by the Vatican Nuncio was that criminal responsibility for terrorist acts can never be attributed to an entire nation or people. The right to self-defense in every conflict must always comply with international humanitarian law, he stressed, including the principle of proportionality. Finally, Archbishop Kacha urged the facilitation of humanitarian corridors to besieged Gaza, where people continue to die. The nuncio concluded by appealing to both sides to demonstrate audacity by renewing their commitment toward a peace based on justice. He reaffirmed that the Holy See remains convinced that the two-state solution still offers hope for such a peace. I am Lisa Zingarini. The U.S. has hit two facilities in eastern Syria used by Iran in what it says are self-defense strikes. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said in a statement yesterday that at the president's direction, these strikes were carried out as a response to a series of attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-backed militia groups. The search for a mass killer on the loose in Maine has continued through the night. Authorities are still searching for 40-year-old Robert Card, who they believe was the gunman who killed 18 people and wounded more than a dozen others in two mass shootings in the town of Lewiston Wednesday night, first at a bowling alley and then at a bar. Residents in the Lewiston area are being urged to stay indoors. They say the suspect is considered armed and dangerous. Pfizer and BioNTech are is beginning a phase three trial for a combined flu and COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Brian Shook reports. The pharmaceutical company reported positive results from its phase one and two study. The previous trials were meant to look at whether the new shots are safe and effective. Pfizer said the phase three trial will look for any potential side effects and will begin in the coming months. An official for the company said they were encouraged by the results. I'm Brian Shook. Pope Francis this week spoke at the Synod on Synodality, telling participants how he sees the church. He said, quote, I like to think of the church as God's faithful people, saint and sinner, a people convoked and called with the force of the Beatitudes and of Matthew 25, saying one of the characteristics of this faithful people is its infallibility, infallible in believing, he said, and then went on to lament clericalism, which he described as a form of worldliness. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35, Pat. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, how should we assist at Mass? We should assist at Mass with great interior recollection and piety and with every outward mark of respect and devotion. Did you notice the word assist? Nowadays, people say that they celebrate the Mass. It's not a party, but it is, as it were, a joyful moment in which Christ's people come together and thank the Lord for all the goodness he's given us. But the people assist, meaning that they, as it were, help the priest along. They help him not by offering part of the sacrifice themselves, but by joining their prayers to the priests, primarily with things we say or things we sing, certainly not with dancing, but it is to have interior recollection. Let us then approach the Mass primarily with the interior heart. And when we do that, we are better able to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us. Ken Craycraft is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. Nice to be with you again. It is nice to have you back. And October is, among other things, mental health Awareness Month, and you've got a piece over at OSV about our call as Christians to practice solidarity and Christian charity with those who experience mental illness. And first off, Ken, can you just define solidarity so we're all on the same page and how that applies to what we're talking about today? Yeah. So, you know, of course, solidarity, as we've talked about many times on the show, is one of the four pillars of Catholic social doctrine. And solidarity means that um, we are all created in the same image and likeness of God without any differentiation in terms of that particular quality. And that means that and and that solidarity indicates that um, when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us are affected by sin, we're all affected by sin. When one of us is affected by any kind of social reality, we all are. And, and moreover, the way that I usually describe it is that there are two aspects to solidarity. One is descriptive and one is prescriptive. I've just given the descriptive aspect. That is, we're all made in the same image and likeness of God. From that, we derive the prescription that we're called to embrace one another in empathy and in, solid, and, and in practical solidarity uh, as we face various traumas or difficulties or or even when we face joys, that the prescriptive nature of solidarity tells us that we are called to as Christians to live for one another and find our fulfillment and our and uh, in, in the, the fulfillment of our purpose, I should say, uh, in, in one another and joining in empathy with one another. And Ken, what are some of the pitfalls that we as Christians 
can fall into when it comes to those in our lives who are dealing with mental illness to one degree or another. Yeah, in the piece I describe a couple uh, or three pitfalls that that we can often that we often meet. The first is is just the difficulty in understanding mental illness. I mean, when when you see a broken arm uh, or when somebody has leukemia or cancer, uh, these are things that are easily measured by medicine or even observed by the observer. When someone has mental illness, it often isn't easy to observe. Uh, it's not, and moreover. Uh, we don't understand the causes uh, and the sources of mental illness the way that we understand other diseases. Now, of course, we've made a lot of progress in understanding it and in treating mental disease uh, or psychiatric or psychological or behavioral disorders, but it's still largely misunderstood. And that, that's obviously a barrier in being able to treat mental illness uh, and mental health more generally. A second uh, a barrier is the stigma that attaches to it, and it's closely related to the first. Uh, it's hard to see and it's hard to find causes, and therefore sometimes we stig stigmatize people with mental health issues, either in the language that we use or the presumptions that we make about what has caused, what we think has caused their mental illness, and that, that causes problems too. So we need to be careful about the language that we use even when we talk about people with um, mental illness. And thirdly, I had a student uh, email me recently that said that a, a parishioner suggested that a person that that, that parishioner knew uh, claimed to have mental illness or or uh, or some kind of psychological illness and blamed it on the person as though it was a result mm. of his sin or something that he or she had done. And uh, and that was Didn't very Jesus disturbing. Jesus talk to me. about again, that like specifically in exactly. scripture. <laughs> That's exactly right. But but in any event, that I would identify that as a third impediment that some people yeah. do harbor this sort of sense that, that when someone is mentally ill, they're not really mentally ill, they're just sinful. And if we just purge the sin, then we purge the mental illness. And that's a pernicious uh, error. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, you as well, listeners know how much you love to look to literature and fiction to to sort of bring out the in a, well, I guess I shouldn't say practical sure. because it's fictional, but bring out these examples of, of what real solidarity looks like. So you've got two examples that you share in the, the OSV piece. Can you talk about those? Yeah, I do. The, 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 the first is a novel by Marilyn Robinson called Housekeeping, and it's a fascinating novel. I think it's her best of, of many novels. Readers might be uh, familiar with the Gilead series, but Housekeeping, I think, is her best novel. And it's the story of a, a woman um, whose sister committed suicide and who therefore moves in to take care of her own nieces, that is, her sister's uh, daughters. Um, and one of them uh, is named Ruthie, and the aunt's name is Sylvie. And Aunt Sylvie herself suffers from clear uh, mental illness or some kind of psychiatric or psychological uh, disease or disorder, which is not diagnosed. It's not diagnosed in the book, but she lives with it and she copes with it. And so she moves in uh, to take care of Sylvie and Sylvie's uh, sister, Lucille. Lucille uh, can't can't cope with Aunt Sylvie's eccentricities, which are her manifestations of, of, uh, of mental health issues. Um, but And so she moves out. Lucille moves out as a teenager into a teacher's house. And this uh, story is set in Idaho in the 1940s and 50s. But, Syl but Sylvie sees in, I'm sorry, um, the, the other niece, Ruthie, sees in Sylvie something that she sees in herself. And the point that I make in the piece is that 
the eccentricities that are often exhibited by people with mental health issues are on a continuum with our own eccentricities and our own uh, and our own situations, even those of us who wouldn't be clinically diagnosed with mental health issues. Now, I want to make it very clear. I'm not saying that everyone is mentally ill, because what that would do is to say that, well, then mental people with real mental illness are just different qualitatively. Yeah. But there is a sense in which we can sh- we see in people with mental health issues aspects of our own behavior or our own struggles, and that should cause us to be able to empathize with people with mental illness in a way that we wouldn't otherwise if we're not open to the possibility that we have our own struggles. And so Sylvie copes with her mental illness through all kinds of elaborate and eccentric behaviors. Uh, And Ruthie, rather than to resist those or rather than to really even try to change Aunt Sylvie, sort of goes with the flow. And that going with the flow is the definition of solidarity. And so Sylvie finds her salvation in Ruthie's solidarity with her, and the uh, the otherwise struggle, the struggles that Aunt Sylvie has with her own mental health is addressed by Ruthie just in being present to her and just in accompanying her. And the story, it's a marvelous story about how uh, the uh, Ruthie is able to help Aunt Sylvie keep the house, the house that they live in, but keep Aunt Sylvie's own house and trying to keep her own life together as she struggles with mental health issues. And the other story is one that's probably more familiar with readers because um, Marilyn Robinson is not a Catholic author, but Walker Percy is. And that's his classic novel, The Movie Giller, his first and probably best novel. And that's that's the story of Binks Bowling, a stockbroker in suburban New Orleans, who who is the first person narrator of the book. And he clearly has all, all kinds of eccentricities that may verge on the on the the border of mental health issues, but he becomes friends with a step cousin named Kate Cutter, who who clearly does have some kind of undiagnosed mental illness. It might be schizophrenia, might be major depressive order, but she's, she's, she clearly has some kind of mental illness, again, undiagnosed and, and untreated, except that she tries to self-medicate. And her, her uh, family either tries to ignore it or to, uh, or to, uh, just simply think it'll go away. Well, Binks Bowling, her step cousin, uh, sees in Kate uh, the disease that she has or the struggle that she has. And rather than to ignore it, uh, Binks enters once again into solidarity with Kate and he keeps her alive and she keeps him uh, on an even keel. And together, these two people who themselves have serious, serious problems. One has clearly clinical depression or clinical schizophrenia. One has eccentricities that border on behavioral uh, disorders. And together, they, they empathize with one another and they, they are therapy to one another. And it's a, it's a beautiful story about how two people who themselves are not, quote, normal, unquote, but who normalize one another's lives through the simple act of solidarity, of being present to one another. It's yeah. a lovely story. And there's a beautiful dialogue toward the end of it where Kate uh, talks to Binks about her struggles and what she needs Binks to be in her life. And it's a beautiful lesson for all of us about how we can be present to people who struggle with mental illness. And if we do that, then we, we fulfill the U.S. bishops who have called us this month to, to empathize with and join in solidarity with people with mental illness so that, that, that it can be addressed before uh, tragedies happen, either by self-inflicted wounds or, as we sometimes see, uh, uh, 
tragedies caused by people with mental illness who don't otherwise know how to cope and cope in ways that are antisocial. Absolutely. To comfort the afflicted, one of the works, the spiritual works of mercy. We've been talking to Ken Craycraft. Go read his piece over at OurSundayVisitor.com. Ken, really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. All right. It's 13 till Father Hezekiah Carnazzo is next. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mine decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. No subject is off limits and no problem too big for the wisdom and compassion of the one and only Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Sunday afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture, here to preview the readings for the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. A blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we are going to the book of Exodus for our first reading, chapter 22. And uh, we get these commandments from the Lord to the people of Israel that they shouldn't oppress aliens, for they were once aliens in the land of Egypt. No wronging any widows or orphans. No taking interest yeah, be, if you lend like, money to any of nice, your poor neighbors. Yeah, be nice to people, right? Be nice to people, yeah. I mean, I guess you could sum it up that way. I guess my question is, Father, why is God commanding them to be nice to these particular types of people? The, the, the question is a good one, Annie. Why these people, and why is Israel supposed to be this way, right? Why are, and ultimately going to ask the question, why are we supposed to be this way? This is a good, a good thing to remember, a principle that we can always hold before us when we're doing theology, is that we should always be theocentric in our exegesis, in our understanding, in our explanation. That is a fancy way of saying God-centered. The first question we should always ask is, who is God, so that we can understand 
who man is in his image and after his likeness. Yes, every moral teaching of the Church, whatever we're commanded to do or not do by the Church, or as we can say, the Church of the Old Testament is commanded how they were to live, is always based upon this central reality, that the whole of the created order is centered upon who God is, for it is who He is that is expressed and revealed in creation. And so why, why is Israel called to do this and act in this way? Well, simply because God is calling them out of Egypt, out of the dominion of Pharaoh, ultimately out of the dominion of death, the grasp of the evil one, and restoring them to their true identity, not as slaves in Egypt, but as sons of God. And that's the simple answer. As, as, as one scholar famously put it, uh, it, it was easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. It carried very much that stamp of Pharaoh and slavery in their heart, and it was a danger that they would then go and act toward others as Pharaoh had acted toward them. But in fact, Israel was called to be a light to the nations, that is, to bring about a restoration of creation in the image and likeness of God. And thus, the foundation of this uh, theme this Sunday, which is love, right? As the gospel tells us, we are called to into God who is love, and we and we're called to reject the idea that God is slave and dictator. For Pharaoh indeed was a divine figure in uh, in Egypt, but a divine figure in the image and likeness of the devil himself. Yeah. So let's look at the gospel from Matthew 22. The Pharisees deciding that they're going to try to test Jesus again. And for context's sake, this is happening during Holy Week after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so they ask Jesus which commandment in the law is the greatest. And he doesn't mention any of the ones that we hear in the first reading. He doesn't mention any of the Ten Commandments that we think of when we hear the word commandment. He gives us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did he just make that commandment up on the spot there, Father? No, it, it sounds like he did, right? It is. No, this is this is a great uh, Shema passage of the of the Old Testament, the commandment of God in the book of Deuteronomy, before Israel is going to enter into the promised land, Moses sums up the law for them in this way, and this becomes a very powerful statement and prayer in the life of Israel, and borrows also from passage from Leviticus regarding love of, of neighbor. But as I say, Annie, this is all true, I should say, because, because of a theocentric understanding of creation and man in the image and likeness of God. John tells us in his epistle that God is love, and the love, of course, is the giving of our life to the beloved. Gift of our life to the beloved can never put someone in debt to us or in a relationship of slavery or, uh, or, or servitude, but rather one, uh, a gift of life which gives freedom to the other that they might live, that they might be everything God intended them to be, namely a participant in the divine nature, one who lives in an absolute freedom of love from all eternity, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And into this relationship of love, we are called to live. And, uh, and so J- Jesus rightly sums up the law for the Jews standing there who were ultimately seeking his arrest and his death. Do you see the difference of what Jesus is coming to give and how the Pharisees have sided themselves not only with the Herodians, not only with the political powers, but with the evil one himself? Yeah. I'm just thinking about it now that when he says the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself— they don't seem on on the surface to be very much alike. Love God, love your neighbor, unless you take that theocentric position on Scripture that you were just mentioning. Oh, this is exactly it, Annie. Is that is, is that the love of God is all related to God's love for us? Right. This is critically important in our modern society, in which we become so uh, deaf and blind to the reality of the divine in our life that we need to stop and we need to, to, to reflect upon the gift of life, the gift of my life. And of course, the proper response to a gift is to say thank you. When we're saying thank you to God, we call that worship. This is, this is our love for Him in which we pour out our life as He's poured out His life into us. And then, once that, that relationship is restored, then I can then live out my life in his image and after his likeness. The one who has given me the greatest gift of all. I am now to live out this reality in relationship to others as he's lived it out towards me. It's incredible. Thank you so much, Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. You can find the Institute of Catholic Culture linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And while you're over there in the show notes, click on the subscribe button so that you can get all the information emailed to you every morning as we go on the air. We got another hour coming up next on EWTN Radio. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. It is Friday, the 27th of October. Let's begin with a prayer from St. John Chrysostom in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O Lord Jesus Christ, open the eyes of my heart that I may hear your word and understand and do your will. For I am a sojourner upon the earth. Hide not your commandments from me, but open my eyes that I may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak unto me the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. On you do I set my hope, O my God, that you shall enlighten my mind and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not only to cherish those things which are written, but to do them. For you are the enlightenment of those who lie in darkness, and from you comes every good deed and every good gift. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Friday, the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along as uh, the week heads into the weekend. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has got video running so you can see the Sunrise Morning Show as well as hear it in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. James Patterson will be along to talk about Fulton Sheen. He's connected with that Ave Maria Pursuit of Wisdom 
uh, project, so that should be kind of fun. Maria Nichols will be along. Uh, she's got a rosary uh, deal to tell you about, and of course, we are winding down the month dedicated to the Holy Rosary. Most of us will probably keep praying the rosary year-round, but October's got that special rosary focus, and we'll talk to Maria about that. Danielle Bean will join us. She's been going through the mysteries of the rosary with us, and then Father Jonathan Duncan will look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings. So, please do stay with us if you can. Please. Pretty please. Two minutes past, news of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Today is a day of prayer, fasting, and penance called for by Pope Francis. The Holy Father himself will be leading a prayer vigil this evening in St. Peter's Square at 6 p.m. local time. He has asked all the faithful to pray for peace today in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, and all over the world. He's invited all the particular churches to also take part by organizing similar prayer vigils involving the people of God. This is not the first day of prayer and fasting that the Holy Father has called. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports this is a persistent theme in his pontificate. Throughout the 10 years of his pontificate, Pope Francis has repeatedly called on believers and non-believers alike to dedicate days of prayer and fasting for the precious gift of peace. Already in 2013, in the first year of his pontificate, Pope Francis called for a day of prayer and fasting for peace in Syria, in the Middle East, and throughout the world. Five years later, in 2018, Pope Francis invited everyone to find appropriate ways to say no to violence. During a day of prayer and fasting for South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Later, following a massive explosion in Beirut in 2020, Pope Francis appealed for a similar day dedicated to solidarity with Lebanon. And in 2020, at the height of the crisis in Afghanistan, the Holy Father called on everyone to intensify their prayer and practice penance. Finally, last year, in 2022, Pope Francis prayed that Mary, the Queen of Peace, might preserve the world from the madness of war, as he appealed for prayer and fasting for peace in Ukraine. Sadly, one day after his appeal, Russia would launch its full-scale invasion of the country, a war that continues to this day. Since that time, the Pope has launched countless heart-rending appeals for Ukraine and its people. Pope Francis once again calls for Catholics and all women and men of goodwill to renew their prayer and fasting, pleading yet again for mercy, conversion, and reconciliation. I'm Christopher Wells. The search for a mass killer on the loose in Maine is continuing for a second day. Authorities are searching for a man identified as 40-year-old Robert Card, who they believe was the gunman who killed 18 people and wounded more than a dozen others in two mass shootings in the town of Lewiston Wednesday night, first at a bowling alley and then at a bar. Residents in the Lewiston area are being urged to stay indoors. Card is a sergeant at a U.S. Army Reserve base who police say was recently committed to a mental health facility. He is considered armed and dangerous. The U.S. has hit two facilities in eastern Syria used by Iran in what it says are self-defense strikes. Mark Mayfield reports. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said in a statement that at President Biden's direction, the strikes were carried out as a response to a series of attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-backed militia groups. The statement went on to say that the U.S. does not seek conflict and does not intend to engage further. The strikes were carried out at facilities used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. A federal judge has dismissed a lawsuit that challenged Indiana's near-total abortion ban. The Satanic Temple filed a suit claiming the law violated religious freedom and the 5th, 13th, and 14th Amendments. A judge ruled Wednesday that the Satanic Temple failed to prove they had standing to sue. Meanwhile, the U.S. bishops are marking the 25th anniversary today of the International Religious Freedom Act. The landmark legislation was signed by then-President Bill Clinton on October 27, 1998, elevating religious freedom as a U.S. foreign policy goal and establishing, among other things, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. A statement from the bishops points out that, quote, sadly, 80 percent of the world's inhabitants live in countries where there are high levels of governmental or societal restrictions on religion and restrictions have been steadily increasing for several years, end quote. And then we have those who abuse the idea of religious freedom, like the Satanic Temple. Well, you know, I mean— Any comments, Matt? All I got to say is there are a lot of people that that uh, say they're not religious, but everybody's got a religion. Some people just believe in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe me, there are a lot of people who don't go to church who will be freaking out at college football stadiums this weekend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you want to know what somebody believes, just look around their house and see what kind of stuff they decorate with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Anna Mitchell, I know that you have things in proper proportion, but there are certain people who's if you were to look at the iconography and the statues and uh, everything else in their house, you'd be like, this person goes to the Church of Ohio State football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do not have any Ohio State gear hanging up on my walls or you don't in my living room. No. None? None. Zero. Well, if you don't have Jesus and Mary or crucifixes in your house, but you've got Brutus the Buckeye in every room, it might be an indication of where your And can I just say where your interior decorating treasure is, Anna Mitchell? There is. I mean, here in Ohio, we are looking ahead to the November election, where a proposed constitutional amendment enshrining abortion in the Constitution is on the ballot, and. I just find it telling that the Satanic Temple filed a suit claiming that an abortion ban violates their religious freedom. What does that tell you about abortion? Uh, It tells you a few things, but don't be surprised if some uh, progressive Christian groups join that cause. Well, yeah. Don't be surprised. Progressive Christian groups. Oh, here's another metric. Sit up and pay attention. If you've got 17 uh, political, you're joining the Satanic Temple. That's true. But if you got 17 political signs in your front yard, but there's no Mary's statues anywhere near your landscaping, then maybe that's an indication, too. <laughs> that's a good point. That's all I'm saying. That's a good point. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and it's great to be uh, joined by Dr. James Patterson. He's chair of the politics department at Ave Maria University, instructor for a free short course on the wisdom of Fulton Sheen with their Pursuit of Wisdom program. You can find it at thepursuitofwisdom.org. Dr. Patterson, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, very glad to have you. You know, it's interesting. Sheen said so many things that are so applicable to our day, and, and you can sort of make the mistake of just mapping him on to every single argument that's going on right now. Uh, but why is it important for us to look at what he was dealing with at his time um, 
because there were some different things. There were some similar things, but there were a lot of different things. Like, why is it important to go back to that well of Sheen's wisdom? So Sheen uh, spends a lot of time explaining first principles uh, of religion, of politics, economics. Uh, so these are the things that are recurring import, uh, issues of importance, things that uh, show up all the time uh, when we're trying to set uh, like a, a good for us to pursue. And so uh, what you find is, is that uh, he, he makes this available uh, to ordinary people. Uh, very frequently you find that Catholic theology can be pretty complicated. The specialization you know, requires a lot of uh, academic expertise. And uh, he breaks it down for ordinary people because ordinary people are, you know, the voters in the United States. And it was important for them to understand what it is that they were supposed to be doing. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll hear this with not just Sheen, but other kinds of figures. Uh, some people will say, well, if Sheen was alive today, he'd really have some critical things to say about X person that I disagree with. Uh, I think if Sheen were alive today, he'd have some critical stuff to say about almost everybody, everybody, uh, because all the things that he warned against have sort of manifest themselves in all sorts of different areas that kind of like are all over the political map, all over even the theological map, all over the map of how we exercise virtue or vice in the public square. I mean, he covered a lot of that. He had a very long career, and, you know, people often remember him for the Emmy Award program, Life is Worth Living. But by the time he was on television, he'd actually already been uh, a college professor, you know, an academic writer, a popular writer, uh, lecturer, priest, uh, and Monsignor uh, since, you know, the 1920s. I guess not a Monsignor quite yet, but uh, he had been doing all of these things for a very long time, which is why he was so good from the get-go on the TV show. Uh, and he had a lot of different kinds of training. He's a canon law. He did moral philosophy. Um, people often don't know this, but his, you know, uh, first book is on pragmatism. It's on uh, a philosophy in the United States. And then his, uh, his next books are on science. So he covers uh, the gamut because he was just such a quick study. There is a lot to unpack. But uh, one of the things that you try and do is sort of assemble some of these things into sort of philosophical categories. I mean, this is a, mm -hmm. this is a monstrous operation to undertake. Uh, but in one of those classes, you talk about um, this kind of distinction uh, between uh, and, and really how he addresses these questions of both uh, liberalism and capitalism. Uh, I mean, how? I mean, mm. without you know, blowing up the whole show, like what's what's sort of a summary of that approach? So uh, Shane wants to uh, make sure that people understand that the Catholic Church teaches that there's uh, a, an external standard of the good. You know, we know this uh, to some degree by reason. It's perfected in Revelation. Uh, the Church uh, will will provide that uh, instruction to us in the form of uh, moral formation, spiritual formation, receipt of uh, the sacraments. Uh, and so uh, when people make appeals to a, a liberal philosophy, what they want to say is that there's not an external good beyond uh, what, uh, whatever you attribute to the world, uh, that it's a personal or subjective Yeah, value. it's nominalism on, on steroids in, in a lot of ways. Exactly. Exactly. And in the economic sphere, it's the same thing. There's no good that uh, unless you prefer it, right? So you go out and buy whatever you want. And she wants to explain that, the, that there's a moral component to the universe that is not up to you, that's actually up to God. And he uh, doesn't uh, merely use like an emotional appeal 
to preach to the choir, but uh, makes very accessible demonstrations of evidence for this and philosophical argumentation and a great and a good dose of humor. Yeah, a great dose of humor. I, I love the sort of cutting ways that he refers to some of these things. You know, because uh, you know, in Sheen's day, you have a whole bunch of swirling, swirling things, right? You've got communism, uh, which he mm. had no shortage of critiques for right and <laughs> nor did by the way the popes you know leading no. up to his time yeah. uh, but also there's this very careful way he cautions americans especially to approach this question of capitalism because capitalism is not some unre- unqualified good automatically right you can use it for good or you can use it for very very evil causes so i mean he's got plenty to say about both of those things especially when it comes to consumer americans that are in his well, then it is viewing audience. The, the, uh, the audience that he's speaking to lived through the Great Depression, uh, or uh, during some of it, he's, they're actually living through it uh, with some of his in, earlier work. So, um, you know, the enthusiasm that it, I think people had for capitalism, you know, during the 1980s and 90s, maybe it kind of tapered since then, um, was, more, uh, was more of that political moment. But we've seen repeatedly that uh, capitalism is, is no guarantee of, of human virtue uh, and in some cases creates problems for it. So Sheen always wanted to focus a person's attention on that virtue, not just on, on gains from, uh, from capitalism, uh, because the long-term harms are actually pretty significant, as a lot of the people living there in that time knew full well. Well, and as uh, I feel like Augustine points out in The City of God, just because you're rich doesn't mean you can't be virtuous, and just because you're poor doesn't mean you are virtuous. <laughs> as well, and he so, did benefit from yeah. from very serious people supporting his venture, uh, and it's about what you dedicate that money to. Absolutely, like uh, you know, working on building programs to help people explore philosophy and its application to the to the modern life. It's not like uh, you yourself sold millions of books to be able to put this project on, right? All these things that we do in (laughs) apostolic work come uh, very often from people who just want to see more people uh, be formed in faith. So uh, I encourage people to go to thepursuitofwisdom.org. Again, thepursuitofwisdom.org. Dr. James Patterson has got the course on the wisdom of Fulton Sheen. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Have a wonderful day. You do the same. And again, while you're at sunrisemorningshow.com, enter your email address and subscribe. You can get the show notes, including direct links to Dr. Patterson's course, right there in those show notes delivered to your inbox daily. Back after this, it's 16 past. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. As the largest religious media network in the world, EWTN has an important role in educating others about our Catholic faith and spreading the good news of salvation. We invite you to explore our numerous pages of historical faith documents, prayers, teachings, and other current issues in Catholicism today. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Today is the day of prayer, fasting, and penance that's been called for by Pope Francis to pray for peace in the Holy Land in Ukraine and all over the world. The search for the mass killer on the loose in Maine is continuing now for a second day. And the U.S. bishops are marking today the 25th anniversary of the International Religious Freedom Act. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, Anna Mitchell, of course, uh, we have lots and lots of great things going on around the country for Eucharistic Revival stuff. We've been having Eucharistic Revival people on the show uh, and, uh, you know, people like Sister Alicia Torres and many Mm -hmm. others involved in that. Uh, I want to steer people, if they have a chance, to go check out... Uh, a great video I put up on our Facebook page at sunrisemorningshow.com uh, about a guy who's going to be on the journey home soon. His name is Matt Gerald. He's from Mississippi. He was a Methodist Protestant. I don't know if you've even ever heard of that denomination. Wait, I've heard of a Methodist, Methodist. which is a type of Protestant. Protestant. Well, this is but a specific is... group that did not join with the United Methodists, and they're okay. only really located in Mississippi. But they got missions in Belize, so they're in Mississippi and Belize, ah. this one denomination. Really? At any rate, Matt got married to a Catholic, and he was like, she's going to become Methodist Protestant. And his wife was like, he's going to become Catholic. Well, 10 years after they got married and their son was preparing to receive First Communion, Matt became Catholic because he wanted family unity. But he didn't really understand. He didn't really him. get it. Yeah. Um, and over time, he kind of shared how... The Eucharist became like everything. He had his own personal Eucharistic revival. And I put a little short video up, a little four-minute video up, if you want to hear kind of how Matt did that. Because there's lots of people who have married into the church or maybe have gone to the church for lots of years. Mm -hmm. And they haven't had that moment, like that Mm -hmm. that encounter that really – it hasn't clicked. So watch Matt's video because it clicked for him. It might help you. That's awesome. It's on our Facebook page. Check it out at Sunrise Morning Show. It's 21 past. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. 
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence, the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your Church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to welcome to the Sunrise Morning Show, Maria Nichols. She's a volunteer with the Rosary Team, and you can check out this apostolate at their website, therosaryteam.org. Maria, welcome to the show. Good morning. It's good to have you. So first of all, can you just tell us about the mission of the Rosary Team? Well, we're uh, trying to spread the Rosary to uh you know, members, residents in senior care facilities, assisted living, uh, nursing homes, memory care units. Um, our mission is to try and say the rosary with as many residents as we can. That's really, really beautiful. So how, I mean, I, I know this sounds like a really silly kind of question, but what exactly does a volunteer do? So we go in teams of two to pray the rosary, again, in those uh, mentioned facilities. Um, It's really special for us because, you know, we get to know the residents while we're, you know, saying the rosary. Um, Some volunteers, you know, they may be retired. When I go with my friend Julie, um, we're just kind of going at our lunch hour. And um, the rosary team started in 2019 with my uh, cousin, Teresa Rodriguez. She lives out uh, in Colorado. And um, she actually started this in memory of my uh, Aunt Mary and her mom, who loved the rosary. And at the time, Teresa was a hospice nurse, and she recognized being in these facilities that the residents um, had a real spiritual need uh, that wasn't being met. And so that's kind of where she got the idea to, you know, start this rosary team. And since then, just since 2019, um, now we have 230 volunteers in over 100 facilities, um, and they really expect that to grow almost double uh, in this next year. Well, let's hope that it doubles just in this morning uh, as (laughs) listeners hear about it, perhaps for the first time here on the Sunrise Morning Show across the country. Um, 
from a from a practical standpoint, when you go into a nursing home, how does it work? Do you do you go find individual residents or do you call people together in a group or, or what do you do? The nursing home uh, handles that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we'll arrive and there'll already be a group of people just waiting for us. Other times um, they're not there yet. And because we already know the residents and know where their rooms are, we kind of go and get them out ourselves if we want. Nice. Um, so, and even it seems silly, but, you know, rolling somebody down the hall in their wheelchair is just a special time that we also get to talk one-on-one while we're gathering them together. Oh, gosh, I imagine so. I, I mean, perhaps you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a nursing home is is one of those places where we will find the the loneliest people among us. Um, not many people getting to to see outsiders um, every single day. For sure, it can definitely be a, a forgotten group. Um, so we're at Bailey on the west side, and nice. um, you know, it Very varies depending Bailey. on yeah. each person's situation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Maria joining us here from from the Cincinnati area is one of the the Cincinnati volunteers with the Rosary Team, and again, the Rosary Team dot org. Well, Maria, Pope Francis has called for today to be a day of of prayer, fasting, and penance for peace around the world. How are you all encouraging your volunteers to to mark today? Well. And not just today, all week, because I said my prayer yesterday with my group, um, and we did dedicate our prayer, uh, the Rosary for Peace in Israel and Hamas War. Um, So everybody throughout the weekend, especially today, just to pray the Rosary, um, dedicate even a decade, um, if you can say it with your friends or family, or, you know, make an extra visit to your family member that might be in a nursing home. Can I ask why the rosary? I mean, there are any number of of prayers that that you could say. You could even make it extemporaneous prayer and just make it sort of like a prayer meeting. What do you? How have you experienced the power of the rosary, particularly in a nursing home setting? <clears throat> well, when we first started saying it, um, we were specifically in the memory care unit, and mm. what surprised me was even though they couldn't remember a lot of things, the residents always remembered how to say the rosary. Um, And for us, um, when we go in, you know, you can see that their faces still recognize you. They uh, trust you, even though they don't really know you after we've, you know, gotten to know them for a while. Um, I I know that we're making an impact because we can see it on their faces and, now, today, we're mixed with memory care uh, folks and other folks that just can't get down to say the rosary that they might be said with um, just the regular facilities. So we're really attending to the people that can't make it to the other rosary that gets said, you know, wow. in the facility. Wow. So, Maria, if listeners are intrigued by this and want to become a volunteer, how do they get in touch? Well, our website is the rosary team. TheRosaryTeam.org, and there's a volunteer page. Um, that would be the best link to go to. And then also under the uh, support to support page, there's a large print rosary pamphlet 
but Aww. we would love for the rosary team to grow here in Cincinnati. And so we're looking for so many more volunteers to really get this going in our Cincinnati area. Fantastic. And uh, you can find the rosary team at org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Let's double the number of volunteers today, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful. Maria Nichols, it was so good to have you. Thank you for joining yes, us thank this you. morning. Okay, thank you. You bet. All right. And you can find all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for today. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Get it in your inbox. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Today is a day of prayer, fasting, and penance called for by Pope Francis, as we were just talking about a moment ago. The Holy Father has asked the faithful to pray for peace today in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, and all over the world. He'll be leading a prayer vigil this evening in St. Peter's Square at 6 p.m. Rome time and has invited all the particular churches to take part by organizing similar initiatives involving the people of God. Meanwhile, Israel is preparing for a ground invasion of Gaza. Mark Mayfield has a story. That's what Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said in a televised speech Wednesday. He said he wouldn't elaborate on when or how many. About 360,000 Israeli reservists are at the border with Gaza awaiting orders. The Gaza Health Ministry says that so far over 6,000 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli airstrikes. The attacks began earlier this month after Hamas invaded Israel and killed 1,400 people. I'm Mark Mayfield. The U.S. has hit two facilities in eastern Syria used by Iran in what it called self-defense strikes. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said in a statement yesterday that at President Biden's direction, the strikes were carried out as a response to a series of attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-backed militia groups. The Holy See's representative to the United Nations has reiterated the call for a two-state solution as the path to peace in the Holy Land. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In a statement he addressed to the Security Council, the Vatican permanent observer to the UN reiterated that war is always a defeat for humanity. Archbishop Katra focused his intervention on three points. First, he conveyed the Holy See's unequivocal condemnation of Hamas' terrorist attack on October the 7th. As Pope Francis clearly stated, terrorism and extremism fuel hatred, violence and revenge and only cause mutual suffering, he said. Archbishop Katcha therefore once again relaunched the urgent call for the immediate release of all the Israeli hostages held by Hamas. The second point highlighted by the Vatican Nuncio was that criminal responsibility for terrorist acts can never be attributed to an entire nation or people. The right to self-defense in every conflict must always comply with international humanitarian law, he stressed, including the principle of proportionality. Finally, Archbishop Katcha urged the facilitation of humanitarian corridors to besieged Gaza, where people continue to die. The nuncio concluded by appealing to both sides to demonstrate audacity by renewing their commitment toward a peace based on justice. He reaffirmed that the Holy See remains convinced that the two-state solution still offers hope for such a peace. I am Lisa Zingarini. The search for a mass killer on the loose in Maine is continuing for a second day. 
Authorities are searching for a man identified as 40-year-old Robert Card, who they believe was the gunman who killed 18 people and wounded more than a dozen others in two mass shootings in the town of Lewiston Wednesday night, first at a bowling alley and then at a bar. Residents in the Lewiston area are being urged to stay indoors. He is considered armed and dangerous. Pfizer and BioNTech is beginning a phase three trial for the combined flu and COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Brian Shook reports. The pharmaceutical company reported positive results from its phase one and two study. The previous trials were meant to look at whether the new shots are safe and effective. Pfizer said the phase three trial will look for any potential side effects and will begin in the coming months. An official for the company said they were encouraged by the results. I'm Brian Shook. The U.S. bishops are marking the 25th anniversary today of the International Religious Freedom Act. The landmark legislation was signed by then-President Bill Clinton on October 27, 1998, elevating religious freedom as a U.S. foreign policy goal. And the Rangers and Diamondbacks are set to go head-to-head for the World Series title. Texas hosts Arizona tonight for Game 1 of the Fall Classic at Globe Life Field. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past. The it's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the heart of St. Paul. One of the words that can be used to describe the person of St. Paul is gratitude. In each of his letters, he expresses gratitude to God for making him a minister, and he is grateful to all who received his message of Christ with an open heart. Paul knows that he's not alone in this world. His thoughts and prayers were filled with the faces of the persons he met and served, and who in turn served and loved him. Paul writes to the Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of salvation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul was grateful that Jesus Christ revealed himself to him, and even more grateful that Jesus used Paul to carry out this message, which enlightens all the people in the truth. Paul knew that what he received free of charge, he needed to pass on free of charge. The kindness expressed by every person is a sign of the kindness of God. We can pass on this kindness through the simple use of two words, thank you. Our thanks acknowledges the value, and by recognizing the value of that gift, we acknowledge the value of the person giving it and the presence of Christ in them. And we begin to see why gratitude is so important in the heart of of St. Paul. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Danielle Bean. You can connect with 
with her. Invite her to speak at daniellebean.com. Check out her girlfriend's podcast through goodcatholic.com and join the community at girlfriendscommunity.com. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine. And it's becoming a yearly tradition, I think, for us uh, to spend our time together in the month of October, which is dedicated to the Holy Rosary, uh, reflecting on some of the mysteries of the Rosary through the lens of, of womanhood, of motherhood specifically. And today we are going to be talking about the joyful mystery, the presentation of the Lord in the temple. And there's so much that we can unpack in this story in Luke chapter two. What what what's standing out to you, Danielle? Yeah, the, the number one thing that always stands out to me when when I read this, when when I pray the rosary and meditate on this particular mystery, is Mary's position there, which is one I think we can all relate to as women, as mothers, in that this is a joyful mystery, right? This is a joyful moment in the life of Christ where he's being presented in the temple. But there's some sorrow in there. There, It's tinged with sorrow because Mary hears Simeon, and we read these words of Simeon, that a sword will pierce your heart. And, you know, I, I just picture myself, you know, imagine yourself maybe on your baby's baptism day, and you're, you're going to the church, and you're just joyful about this new little gift of life that you've been given. There's so much to rejoice about there. And imagine someone giving you this stark, harsh prophecy in a moment like that. And I just think about the way that Our Lady handles that, the way that she accepts that, in the, which is the way that she accepts all that the Lord gives to her. Everything that God asks of her is with this peace and serenity, just embracing God's will. When she first said yes, when the angel Gabriel came to visit her at the Annunciation, she knew. She didn't know all the details, but she knew that this wouldn't be a choice she was making that would prevent suffering. She knew that it was going to be something sacrificial she was taking on. And here again is a reminder of that in Simeon's prophecy. And, you know, just a a little bit of a a reality check there, right? Like just a little bit of a reminder that here's what you said yes to. But she's firm in her commitment to the Lord. She is firm in her yes. She doesn't waver. She doesn't you know, I can imagine if something similar happened to one of us that we might get dramatic and we might we might despair or we might start crying or we might, you know, cause a scene and, or we might demand to know more about what the person is saying. Our Lady doesn't do any of that. She is peaceful. She is calm in, in that moment there where she's being challenged in this way. And she's just embracing, fully embracing what God's will is for her life even if she doesn't know exactly what that means just yet. It is so fascinating that it is one of the joyful mysteries of the rosary, but also one of the seven sorrows of Mary. I'm so glad that you point that out because it is such a lesson to all of us that we need to trust in the Lord that that he is going to bring out the greater good in, in any situation. Right. Absolutely. And I think that this is this is the, the great challenge that we have as human beings. And Mary is such a beautiful example for us of doing this with serenity and complete surrender. You know, just, just this morning I was, I was reading um, uh, Proverbs 3, where it says, lean not on your own understanding. Mm. And that really stood out to me. And it's a prayer that we can bring to Mary and ask her to teach us how to do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Mary is the perfect example of that in the, the presentation in the temple. Here, where she, it is very much and truthfully a joyful moment, 
it is also a sorrowful moment, but she embraces it all. She isn't going to be swayed with what's going on around her, right? She is firm because she is rooted in her relationship with God the Father. And you know who else uh, stands out in in this story are Simeon and Anna, these two people mm. that just spent their lives in in service of the Lord and were able to recognize that God himself had just come back to the temple. Right, right. I think I'm glad you mentioned Anna, because so often we focus on Simeon and we forget that there's somebody else there, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and and I, I, in my book, um, You Are Enough, where I looked at women of the Old Testament, um, I, I did look at, at Anna, and I did like think about, why don't we hear more about this, right? Why don't we hear more about Anna? And you know, I suppose the, the prophecy of Simeon is a little bit more dramatic, so we, we might focus there. But truthfully, here is a faithful woman of the Lord who is being rewarded for her faithfulness. Here she is using her feminine gift of seeing the other and seeing Christ for who he was. One of the first people to do that, right, to publicly proclaim who he was. She saw that, and she had the gift and the opportunity to be able to do that. And Simeon as well, in his faithfulness throughout his lifetime, he trusted. He did not lean on his own understanding. He trusted in the Lord with all his heart. He trusted. And here he is being rewarded for that, where the Savior is here in his arms. What a, what a beautiful and dramatic moment that is to reflect on. Yeah, and Danielle, the lesson for me out of this, and, and I've talked about it any number of times, I think even with you um, in, in some of the Girlfriends podcasts, is that— we need to grow in awareness of where God is, noticing God in these places so that when we are in the midst of a, a sorrow, if you will, that we can, we can look around and spot God in those moments. Right. And think about what a gift it is to us to not be, you know, not to just have to, you know, whatever way the wind is blowing is the way that you're going, right? Think right. about that. Think about how, right. how disruptive that is, right? Like, but if we are rooted in our relationship with God, all of our circumstances around us can change. They can be terrible. They can be wonderful. And we can be unmoved in the midst of it all. That ultimately is the goal, because God is unchanging. And if we're focused there, if we're focused on our relationship with Him, if we are surrendering to him and trusting in him with all of our hearts, the way that scripture tells us to, then we are not going to be moved by those things. We still might suffer and we still will rejoice and we can still experience all, you know, the, the full range of human emotions, but we don't have to let it move us at our core. That's where we need to be focused on our relationship with God. Yep, absolutely. We've been talking to Danielle Bean. You can find her girlfriend's podcast and her website linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Danielle, really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You too, Danielle. Thanks. Hey, Matt. Matt, are you there? Is Matt there? Oh, man. I just found something out that I wanted to share with him and thereby share with everyone else. So today we were mentioning, I'll just tell you all since Matt's not here. He's probably like rounding up Zeke to get ready for school. Uh, the U.S. bishops today are um, uh, making note of the fact that today is the 25th anniversary of the International Religious Freedom Act. And so this is legislation. It was signed in 1998 by Bill Clinton um, that um, elevated religious freedom to a U.S. foreign policy goal. Now, what I'm wondering 
is if then-President Bill Clinton knew this little fact, or if Congress knew this fact even. Matt, do you know what other anniversary is marked today? On the 27th of October? Yeah. I, I just just found this out. Then I probably don't know it. Constantine the Great, equal oh, to the Apostles. Edict of Milan? No. A Vision of the Cross oh, just yeah. ahead of the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. How interesting that the International Religious Freedom Act would be signed on the anniversary of that moment in Constantine's life that would eventually lead, lead to, the to Milan. religious freedom in right. the Roman Empire. Well, what do you know? Isn't that incredible? Fortuitous. These are these things where I'm like, we got to look at history as providential. It when is we indeed. see God's hand on these things, it's unreal. Unreal. So well, anyway. there you have it. There you have it. So I just thought I'd share Although that think, with everybody. I got to go back and, and think about like what what was going on that like sparked that. There might have also been like some stuff related to all kinds of different stuff that has almost nothing to do with some of the things that uh, you and I and people around the mm-hmm. world are fighting today you know, for sure. today. But it is uh, it is a goal. It, it is a goal, indeed. especially as certain things that you know require lots of faith to accept are getting pushed to the forefront with religious fervor, but don't necessarily have like a religious component to them. Mm-hmm. So, and that's all I have to say about that for now. We'll look ahead to the Sunday mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan coming out of the break. It's 13 till. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Conversations with Consequences, where we delve deeper into issues affecting our church, our country, and our core, the family. As Catholics, we need to be informed, aware, and able to talk through some of the tough topics that we're facing in our culture and in our world. Conversations with Consequences gives us the tools to do so. It's not enough to pray. We have to be a light for the world. Conversations with Consequences, tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 
Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to Sunrise Morning Show. We thank you for joining us on this Friday, the 27th of October. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. And uh, we get to look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings for, man, we're getting into the big numbers, the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Father Duncan, we're getting close to Advent. Are you, uh, are you all right? Are you ready for it yet? You know, I am. I am. And I have to confess... Um, I'm one of these people. Our local radio station starts playing Christmas music, mostly secular, uh, beginning on All Saints Day, and so I'll I'll, I'll be rocking out to Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole, you know, for weeks, weeks Weeks. until Christmas. You know, the purists are going to come after you for that, you know, because some of us—I've tried the thing where I listen to only Advent music up until Christmas, but there's like— about three Advent CDs that have ever been made. So it's a lot of silence in our house. But uh, but just want to have people have that kind of in the back of their minds and at the ready, because 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time, I mean, this is this is up in the numbers, and we're getting, uh, we're getting some really... We're not just focusing towards Advent, we're focusing towards the Feast of Christ the King, and we're getting some of Jesus' kind of like biggest and, and uh, most core teachings in these last few weeks leading up to Advent, aren't we? Absolutely. So, of course, you know, we've been in Matthew chapter 22. We've heard about uh, the preparation for uh, the the royal banquet for the heavenly feast and, you know, having the the wedding garment, having the robe. Uh, So we heard about that. Of course, last week we heard about rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar's and, and to God that which is God's. But now... We had this question from the from one of the scribes, which is the greatest commandment? And all of this is is drawing up our Lord's. It's giving him an opportunity, even though they're seeking to you know entrap him and snare him, but it's giving him an opportunity to reveal what the kingdom is like. And of course, Jesus, as a as a as a faithful rabbi, as a uh, as someone who loves the law. Of course, he is the one about whom Psalm 1 was written. Blessed is the man who meditates on your law day and night. So he answers in a very faithful and traditional rabbinic way. What's the greatest law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with, with everything. And then the other commandment, which also both these laws, of course, come from uh, the Torah, from the book of Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. So this would have been a standard answer. But Jesus is, of course, revealing in his own person what it truly means to love God with everything, his Father with everything, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, he would tell his disciples, no, you know, no greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for his friends. So he's revealing in his own, he's not just giving us um, a sort of a moral commandment, you know, here's the things to do. Um, his teachings are also always like a, a proclamation of who he is and of, and of the gospel of the kingdom. So yes, we are called to love God with everything, to love our neighbor as ourselves. but ultimately his summary of the law is a proclamation of, of who he is. 
uh, he is the one who loves God with um, with his his body, with his soul. You know, into your hands I commend my spirit. He is the one who who loved him, his father, with his whole will, with with every part of his being, and loved his wounded, fallen, rebellious creation um, as his own body, so that he could make so that he could make enemies his very own body, members of his own body. So uh, there are so many layers of things. I mean, this sounds like one of those, like, stitch it on a pillow, you know, and sell it in the Hallmark store kind of, like, passages. You know, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty straightforward. But there are, implica- like, big implications to this. So one of them is that when Jesus gives the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Before he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he says, the second is like it. So loving your neighbor is like loving God, meaning that sometimes I have a hard time figuring out, well, how do I love God? What do I do? Well, God has created the world in such a way that he has surrounded me with people who bear his very image and likeness. So one of the best ways I can figure out how to love God is to love them. It's like it. Like loving my neighbor is like loving God because this is the this is the image of him that is directly operating in my world all day, every day. Family, friends, coworkers, complete strangers, enemies, all those people are my opportunity to do the second commandment, which is like that first one. Absolutely. They are they are the place where you where you can be trained to love God with everything. Because by loving your neighbor as yourself, it's, it's an invitation to say all of the energy, resources, and creativity that you use to meet your own needs. He's saying, I want you to extend all of that energy, time, resources, creativity, to use that to meet the needs of others, to seek the good of others. And that's a tall order. But it does prepare us and helps and trains us for loving God our Father with everything, uh, to lay everything on the altar, to do as as St. Paul would say to the Romans, I I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And if if Jesus fulfilled every commandment perfectly, that means he also fulfilled this one perfectly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we know that Jesus, by loving himself, is loving within the life of the Trinity, infinite love pouring out to infinite love, then, I mean, that's a, that's a stunning thing to ponder. It is. We're being invited into a communion of love and being asked by proclaiming the gospel to extend others and to bring others into it as well. Well, Father Duncan, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. Good to be with you. All right, that wraps it up on a Friday morning. Thanks for joining us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You can go to sunrisemorningshow.com to connect with Father Duncan and all of our guests. Uh, You can also enter your email address and subscribe to our show notes. They'll get delivered to your inbox every morning so you can see who's on the show, what we're talking about, some of the prayers that we use as well, the occasional Rita Heikenfeld recipe. Again, subscribe at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's also got a link to the video stream if you want to, uh, I don't know, you ever watch a train wreck before? You should check it out. Annie and I, uh, we try and have a little fun. Until Monday, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.